0: Well, church, today uh, we are nearing the end, this is the the next to the last Sunday, uh, of the series that we've been in over the summer entitled, A Word for the Weary, where we've been looking at some of the the stories and the psalms and the sayings from the scripture that offer a word of encouragement or, or of help or of perspective for us when we've been facing the challenging trials of life that tend to wear us down and wear us out. And today, uh, we are looking at what I believe is is probably the most challenging word in all of the scriptures to us about how to handle and think about our weariness. But it's also a word that that while it may be difficult to hear, and, and maybe even more difficult to apply It also has the the potential to be one of the most transformational ideas in all of our lived experience. This exhortation comes to us from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And so if you have Bibles there with you, I want to invite you to open them up with me to James chapter 1 as we consider together God's word of wisdom for the weary. The book of James... Was written as we see in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of James was written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or or what is known as as the diaspora. These these were Jewish Christians who, uh, because of turmoil and violence and corruption and injustice and poverty, and eventually a war with the Romans that destroyed the city of Jerusalem, but for all of those reasons, these folks had been scattered away from their home and had been kind of involuntarily relocated to various places throughout Israel and beyond. They were displaced refugees who, needless to say, had been through a lot. And James opens uh, this letter to, to this scattered church by jumping right into the deep end with a really challenging theological truth. After a very brief kind of one verse introduction to his letter, James says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I wonder how many people, when they first heard that statement read in their church, wanted to punch James in the face, (laughs) You know, he's, he's speaking to a people who have been through incredible difficulties, life-changing loss. And James says that the, the first thing he says is that what they are to, to think about, what they've been through or what they are going through, when they think about it, that they should consider it a, a joy. What is he talking about? You know, there, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to believe and understand and accept. Paul said, said the message of the gospel sounds like foolishness to the world. But when people hear some of the things that we believe, it sounds like nonsense to them. And I would imagine that, that this message from James must be right up there at the top of the list of things that just don't make any sense and sound a little crazy to both people inside and outside of the church. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why would anyone do that? At first hearing, that sounds like a, a completely contradictory message to what we heard just two weeks ago from Lamentations, when Eric reminded us of the significance of having an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to a nation's lament over the trials and challenges that they had faced in their capture and the destruction at the hands of the enemies from hundreds of years earlier. The book of Lamentations was written to to help the people of Israel mine to the very depths of their sorrow and sadness over what had happened to their city and their people. And what Eric reminded us of is the importance of of grieving the difficult things in life. That was God's word for the weary just a couple of weeks ago. It's, It's okay, even healthy, to be sad when hard and difficult things happen. That is an honest, a human emotion. And Lamentations gives us the freedom and the permission to fully lament. And it gives us an example of, of how to do it. But how does that relate to what James is saying here at the beginning of his letter? I mean, doesn't it seem like a contradiction? The Lamentations tells us to lament our trials. James is telling us to consider it pure joy when we face trials. What's going on? Which one is it? Well, I believe what James is exhorting us to here is not a contradiction to what Lamentations has said, but is a contribution to it. For what James is not saying here is that the experience of the trials that you go through should be a joy. He's not sadistic. He's not minimizing or disregarding the very real pain and suffering that we experience in the various trials that we encounter in life. He's not denying the reality that that trials are trying, that that pain is painful, that suffering causes us to suffer. James is not denying the reality of the difficult things in our lives and saying that we should enjoy the trials that we face. Instead, James is exhorting us that even in the midst of the most difficult and painful things that we experience in this life, that God is at work in the midst of them, doing something good within us. And for that reason, even in the midst of our complex and difficult emotions, we can have joy. Look at what James says. He writes, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Verse 3 For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is saying is that when we face trials, our faith is tested. And that as our faith is tested, we grow in, in steadfastness or, or in, in persistent determination of our faith, in our faith, which if we preserve in our faith until the end, it will eventually lead us to the perfect completion that God has in store for us. Simply put, God works through the trials that we face in life to bring a redemptive purpose out of those trials. That There is good and lasting fruit that is produced in our lives, which grows out of the difficult situations that we endure. <clears throat> and for that reason, we can have joy. It's not a diminishing of the sorrow or the lament or the hardships that we experience, but it's a redeeming of them. Those two emotions they, they, and experiences, they aren't mutually exclusive. It's not all good or all bad. The two actually work together. I experience this all of the time in, in, in F3, which is the, the, the early morning men's workout group that I'm a part of. Now, let me say here at the beginning, I hate F3, okay? <laughs> there is nothing about the experience that I enjoy. It is suffering for me from start to finish, You have to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. It's all done outside, so you're dealing with with the elements, unbearable heat and humidity in the summer, bitter cold in the winter. You're often made to run through and roll around in wet, itchy grass, which ruins your clothes and your shoes. They make you do these ridiculous exercises like lifting heavy rocks and running up uh, these absurdly steep hills. It's all crazy. And throughout the suffering of every F3 workout, people are literally cursing the leader who is making them do this work, either quietly in their mind or often out loud for others to hear. It is an exhausting, painful, miserable 45 minutes of suffering. Yet, at the end of every workout, I turn to the person who just put me through all of that misery and I say to them, thank you, good job. Because I know that despite how horrible the experience was, that I am now stronger for having gone through it. Without the challenge and the misery that came along with it, I wouldn't have the benefit. Misery and and gratitude kind of working together. I don't enjoy it at all, but there is joy in it because of the health and the strength that it produces in me. And our faith is the same way, friends. Faith is like, a, it's like muscle tissue. If it's never used, it's never tested, if it never has to be exercised, it will atrophy and waste away. But if you stress it to the limit, if you work it out, it gets stronger through the trial, not weaker as a result of it. It builds faith that will see us through and the end. That's what James means here. But when your faith is is threatened and it's tested and it's stretched to the breaking point, the result is a greater capacity to endure whatever comes your way in life and in death. John Piper uh, said that, that God loves faith so much that he will test it to the breaking point so as to keep it pure and strong. And this is what we see modeled over and over again in the Scriptures. For example, this is what Paul, this is what happened to Paul, uh, as we, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul describes the incredibly difficult trials that he had faced. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened, beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But, That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul knew that there was a a purpose in his extreme suffering, terrible as it was. he, He despaired in the midst of it. But Paul knew that God was using it in order that he would learn not to rely on his own resources, but on the power of God who raises the dead. We see this example most profoundly, of course, in the life of Jesus. Jesus is described in the scriptures as a man of many sorrows. He knew trials, relational betrayals. The one who shared his bread with him turned against him. He knew physical pain. He was beaten and crucified. He knew emotional and spiritual anguish. Upon the cross, he cried out in his forsakenness. In anticipation of the suffering that He was going to endure upon the cross, we're told that He sweat drops of blood. He begged the Father that there might be another way to accomplish what He had come to accomplish. Jesus suffered terribly at the hands of men. But in the midst of those trials, we're told that He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. He knew that something good would come from His suffering, Your redemption, my redemption, the redemption of the world. He knew there was something better on the other side of the cross and the grave that he could only experience by going through the cross. This is the way of the Christian life. In order to be Jesus' disciples, we're called to take up our crosses and to follow after him. It's an invitation into a repeated pattern of death and resurrection this concept, it was, it was profoundly illustrated for me in, in a book entitled J-Curve by Paul Miller. The tagline of this book is, is the dying and rising with Jesus in everyday life. And the premise of the book is that is that the normal Christian life repeatedly enacts this rhythm of dying and, and, and rising with Jesus. For in the same way that Jesus first went down into depth into death and then up into resurrection so our lives will do that in smaller ways day by day by day as we follow the example of our lord and what i love about the image of the j curve is that is that like a j which which first goes down but then rises up to a higher point than it was before so our lives we go down into suffering and in trials of various kinds But God works in us through those trials to bring us up to a a higher place than we were before. It's like like precious metals refined by fire. We, We are more pure, more refined. We're in a better place on the backside of the fire for having gone through the fire. It feels like we're dying in our suffering. But like Paul, through our suffering, we learn to trust and to depend upon the Lord in ways that we never could have without having gone through it. In the end, we're better off for having endured. I experienced this in a profoundly personal way about a year and a half ago. Some of you may know this story, some of you may not. But about a year and a half ago, our church was going through a really difficult season of life. A number of families had left. I wasn't handling that very well. I wasn't in a healthy place and and was honestly pretty close to burning out and walking away from pastoral ministry all together. and In the middle of one of our leadership council meetings, I was sharing how hard this was on me. And, and we were spending some time in prayer. And in the middle of that time of prayer, Kim Malpass began to thank God for the trials that we were going through. She pointed us to the truth of God's word from James 1. That God was at work in the trials that we were experiencing. And that he was doing something in me and in the church that would ultimately be for our good. In the midst of suffering, we gave thanks. We acknowledged joy that we have in the Lord. Now, I couldn't have ever said those words for myself, but they were exactly what my heart and my soul needed to hear and needed to believe. And that moment actually became a a significant catalyst for healing and for growth and for renewal and for resurrection that the Lord has done in me and in our church since that time. One specific example is that for years I had struggled with, with fear of man issues. I cared too much about what people thought of me, about what you thought of me. And that made it incredibly difficult as people were leaving. I was being crushed by it. And I was aware of this issue in my life. I had prayed about it for years to no real effect. But through that trial, God has largely taken it away from me. Nothing had been effective in doing that except for the trial that we went through. We're on the other side of the the J-curve from that episode now, and it's hard to believe how much better off I am now than I was then because of what I went through. The image of the J-curve and the model of death and resurrection shows us how we can count it all joy, even in the midst of facing trials of various kinds. This pattern reminds us that, that death and resurrection, sorrow and joy are inextricably intertwined. For Jesus promised us that in this world we would have trouble, but he also encouraged us not to fear, for he has overcome the world. It's death and resurrection, suffering and joy they go together. The former is always conquered by the latter. So the question is, how do we do it? How do we grow in our ability to experience joy even in the midst of our trials? Well, there are three steps that I want to suggest as a a way to begin in this process. The first thing that we have to do, I think, is we have to acknowledge the goodness and faithfulness of God in all things. Even the things you don't like, even the things you can't understand. You have to submit yourself to that truth. Surrender to that conviction. For if you want to be able to walk through trials, trusting that God is at work in the midst of them, it requires that you have a deep belief in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You have to be convinced that God is good and that everything he does in your life is for your ultimate good. And you have to believe that He is faithful and that He will be true to the promises that He has made to us in His Word. This is essential to be able to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, a belief in the goodness and the faithfulness of God in all things. The second thing that you can do is in prayer, give thanks to God for the work that He is doing in you through the trials that you are facing no matter how painful and difficult and scary they are, give thanks to God for the work that He is doing in you through those trials. If you're in a place where that's too difficult to do on your own, after the service today, I'm going to send the church a a prayer from our old prayer book, which is a longer prayer of thanksgiving, but in the midst of it, there's a sentence which states that we thank you, God, also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Part of the gift of the prayer book is that it it gives voice to our hearts when we don't have the words or the strength to voice them ourselves. It is powerful and it is freeing and it, it loosens the grip of fear and pain to be able to give God thanks for the way He is at work in your life, even and especially in the midst of difficult circumstances. And then finally, church, I'd encourage you to look for how God is at work changing you in the midst of your trials. What might He be doing uh, to to, to take away from you what had been an an unhealthy dependence that you had? What might He be building or developing in you that would be for your good on the other side of that trial? How might He be preparing you through this in order to be able to, to comfort others with the comfort that you yourselves receive? How is he forming you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus, through this trial that you're walking through? Open your eyes to how God might be working through your trials for your growth and for your good. Ask the Lord to help you see it. This will help you be encouraged and have hope, even in the midst of many challenges. If we can come to a place where we can understand and accept and, and look to apply this reality in our lives, it has the ability to radically change our experience in the midst of the trials that we face. It doesn't make suffering go away, but this reality does have the ability to free us from despair in the midst of our suffering because we know that resurrection is on the way. It, it, it keeps us Keeps before us the hope for redemption and renewal in any situation, no matter how bleak things may look. And this reality helps us to know Jesus more closely, more intimately. Helps us to become more like him as we share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that we may know the power of his resurrection. Church, submitting to and and surrendering to God's work in our lives through the various trials that we face, as difficult as it may be, will always be for God's ultimate glory in this world and for our greatest good in our lives. And so, church, let us heed God's word for the weary from the Scriptures and count it all joy as we face trials of various kinds knowing that the testing of our faith develops steadfastness and that when steadfastness has its full effect, we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen.